0: Welcome to Mormon Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. Just to let you know, you can find this podcast on its host site, mormondiscussionpodcast.org. If you're a premium subscriber, that's the only place you can access the premium episodes. You have to sign in with your username and password and then click premium episodes. You can also find the podcast on iTunes as well as Stitcher. And please leave a review at those sites if you listen there. The higher the review, the further up the list the podcast moves. In being accessible to other people who have not heard of Mormon Discussion Podcast. Also, support the podcast by becoming a premium subscriber today or visiting the bookstore to purchase books that will help you in your faith transition. Thank you. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Michael Reed, welcome to Mormon Discussion. How are you today?
1: I'm great. Thank you for
0: having me. Good. Glad to have you on. Michael Reed, author of the book Banishing the Cross, The Emergence of a Mormon Taboo. I'm grateful to have you on. I think this will be a quite an interesting subject. My my podcast tries to do two things, uh, Michael, and one of those is to help people who are kind of in a faith transition be able to kind of deal with the, the angst that that is involved with that. But the second thing is to kind of take some of the assumptions we make in the church and see if those really hold up up, and, and if they don't, find ways to kind of put them back together in a new way that, uh, that deals with the facts and deals with the information. And I think, in many ways, that second point will hit, be hit pretty hard by some of the things we talk about. I wonder, if before we get started, if you would just share with us kind of a brief bio about yourself, and then we'll jump into the book.
1: All right. Well, I, I'm currently here on American Fork. I'm working on my dissertation uh, from my doctorate in Christian history. I'm a student from Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley. And uh so yeah, I'm enjoying my stay here in Utah to do my research. I'm spending a lot of time in the archives here. And it's fun. I enjoy my research. Um, I th- as far as the book goes, I <clears throat> was a student uh working on my masters at Sacramento State University or California State University Sacramento. And uh I uh my what became my book uh began as my master's thesis. Um so yeah, that's that's as far as the book goes. Um I was involved in apologetics a while back. I was a member of FAIR. Um I got my bachelor's in uh humanities with a focus of religious studies.
0: Gotcha. You know, you said that uh, this started off as a uh, your thesis for, for your university studies. What what made the cross kind of become an important subject that you felt needed to be delved into? Mm, well, I initially
1: planned on writing my thesis on the apocalyptic expectation um, that's illustrated in the Navu Temple. So I was exploring symbols that are on uh, the temple in architecture. Um, but I was also going to include a section on symbols that we might expect to be on the temple that aren't there. And uh, so the obvious uh, chapter that I would include would be on the absence of the cross, um, and yeah it, it really snowballed actually um, i didn 't realize uh, all the details that I would find, um, how my conclusions would be changed
0: yeah yeah let 's jump into some of those so let's let 's kind of go back to early on in Mormonism, early on in church history. what was the the way in which we viewed the cross? As a, as a Mormon institution, and, and maybe share with us some of that history of how the cross perhaps was used in some ways early on.
1: My thesis, well, when I began, as I said, um, I had some conclusions uh, changed. Um, I initially planned on arguing what other historians have argued, um, Richard Bushman, um, Bob Rees, others, uh, where there's this common understanding that we already know. There's a lot, there's a lot that's already been published on this regarding the uh, protestant perceptions that evolved toward the symbol of the cross and the basic argument was is that protestants rejected the symbol at the time that the church was first established and that converts came into the church and brought that negative uh, stigma into the church and uh, so i began with that assumption so as i was uh, pursuing my research i was looking for Early negative these uh, statements um, expressed towards the symbol, but I couldn't find any, and so I kept on digging. I assumed that there would be some, and uh, the earliest I was able to find, I believe, was um, 1879. I 1879, um, 1881, and uh, and so I kept looking. I kept looking. I couldn't find anything, and. I start to realize that there are a lot of statements that are expressed by members and church authorities that are favorable toward the symbol of the cross. And that was was completely contrary to what I expected. And uh, so I continued to do some more digging, and I started finding in material culture photographs um, of early church members using the symbol of the cross. And, uh, I found photos of Brigham Young's daughters, one of his wives, and me, Young, wearing cross jewelry. Not just petite crosses, right? (laughs) I mean, almost like bling bling type (laughs) of jewelry where it's, it's totally overt, stands out, and it was just totally fascinating. So clearly, um, it became obvious to me that perception for the symbol had changed in Mormon culture. And as I made that shift in my assumptions, it, it was amazing how things just just came together. And uh, seemed that the argument made itself.
0: Awesome. I wanted to ask you, you know, obviously at some point something changes and Mormonism takes a very almost an antagonistic view of the cross. And it is kind of looked at as like, Hey, we're different than everybody. We don't use this, this symbol because we don't want to focus on the death of Christ. And I just want to kind of maybe get your point of view, what triggers the change and, and why do we go from being a culture that seems to be accepting of the cross as a symbol of Christ and of Christianity. And then we get to a spot where it's no longer looked upon as a, a favorable symbol to use.
1: Um, well, early on, uh you no, know, we have this involvement of uh members of the church in folk magic and Freemasonry. And uh for instance we we had the the magic parchments that were uh most likely related to treasure seeking that were passed down to the, just through the Smith family. And they're covered with crosses. And in regards to Freemasonry, um to say that you're against the symbols kinda of, kind of a contradiction because Freemasonry is a science of symbols, or that's how it's regarded anyway, um, among Masons, and so eventually um, these things became less influential in the church, and uh, so these became factors that were um, that lost their strength in, in in the Mormon view, and there was also another another factor that contributed to the acceptance of the symbol, and that was that. In pre-Columbian archaeological remains, um, crosses are being found. And so Latter-day Saints, early in the church, would say, aha, this is evidence confirming the authenticity of the Book of Mormon. You see, they're Christian, right? And so because of that, there was an, an additional reason for them to accept the symbol. Um, for, now let me back up a little. One of the reasons that Protestants, well, probably the main reason, actually it is the main reason why Protestants rejected the symbol of the cross at the time that the church was first established was had to do with a fear of of Catholicism. People were immigrating who were Catholic basically by the wagon load right um, there the the Catholic presence was increasing exponentially and so there there was this fear of Catholic takeover and the view was because canon law established the cross to be on architecture specific locations, what that did is it it kind of made the symbol of the cross, a steady target for Protestants to disassociate themselves from what they perceived to be the threat. And so they would, by rejecting the cross, they're drawing these boundaries by saying, uh, you're not one of us. And the absence of the cross actually became, in a way, an identity marker to protect them from what they saw as a threat. Now, Mormons early on, as as we know, struggled with anti-Catholic sentiment. And so you find all these anti-Catholic remarks, but what's different is is that you don't find the rejection of the symbol of the cross. And you don't find that until later, until Freemasonry, folk magic become things of the past. This coincides with the, the shift where folk magic and Freemasonry become things of the past coincides with a new Catholic presence in the state of Utah. And suddenly there becomes this fear, the same type of fear that existed among Protestants at the time that the church was first established. And Mormons become afraid of Catholic dominion, um, a fear of these Catholic schools that are out to to convert our children. <laughs> right. And so with the absence of these factors of um, Freemasonry and folk magic um, and this new Catholic fear, um, the last factor, which is the pre-Columbian cross influence, um, it wasn't strong enough, I guess, in some ways, wasn't wasn't strong enough to preserve the acceptance of the cross. And it's at that time that we start finding um, negative views expressed towards the symbol. I,
0: I find it interesting. We've got Mormonism in Utah being afraid of another church's presence. I just I find that to be kind of a a strange thing that's happening, considering how much influence the church has
1: right yes and and this started at the grassroots level of course leaders um, were influenced by the same fear, but um it, the the cross taboo wasn't institutionalized yet, and another reason why um especially uh in in the generation to follow um that that contributed to this fear. Um, or this view of Catholicism being a threat to Mormon ideals and the progress of the church and its security is, is that missions that were predominantly Catholic or were, I guess, ruled by a Catholic government, <laughs> um, those missions were essentially failing. Um, and so it was the natural conclusion for, for leaders of the church to say there must be something evil about Catholicism. Uh, there must they must be the enemy. Or they must be a enemy, uh, of of, of, the, of the Lord's Church and the progress and 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 uh, growth of the Church.
0: Yeah. So when we look at the leaders within LDS uh, leadership, you know, from that from the beginning of the Church till now, who are kind of the first of those among maybe the fifth the top fifteen who begin to say, Okay guys, we we're out loud in public saying that this symbol is not something we would prefer to use.
1: Yeah, um well Bruce R. McConkey would be the most obvious right. <laughs> but that was a, a little later. Um,
0: <clears throat> where's he getting it from?
1: He's getting it from uh Joseph Field and Smith. Uh yeah. Uh David o. McKay, though, he he was the one well, he was a mission president over these European con- uh, missions that were failing. And uh, he, he struggled quite a bit with anti-Catholic sentiments. Um, in fact, in his journal, we have statements where David O. McKay is saying things like, there are two great anti-Christ anti- uh, in the world. There's um, communism and that church. And he points to the church and it happens to be a Catholic
0: church. <laughs> It, yeah, it is intriguing. You know, we we end up sometimes these assumptions get passed from generation to generation and and we have these views that something was always this way and then you look back and you start reading the data and, and you realize that, that that's that the way you thought things came about is not the way it actually happened. I uh, I wonder too um your personal thoughts. I mean, is there some I don't want to try to see how I want to frame this. Is there some legitimacy to the church's effort to kind of distinguish itself from the rest of Christianity when it comes to this particular symbol? Or personally, do you feel like we just kind of like culturally missed the mark, that we made something out of out of something that really didn't need to be made into a, a big deal?
1: Um, yes and no. <laughs> um, well, there's, there's the parable of the pot roast that I'd like to compare um, this to.
0: Yeah, please do. I, want, I wanted to make sure you talked about that too uh, because I think it's a cool story.
1: Um, now, the parable of the, pot, uh, the, the parable of the pot roast is that there's this newlywed couple uh, and they're having their first newlywed dinner, and the wife, uh, she, the bride, she she ends up cutting an inch of the pot roast off of each end, and uh, and uh, the groom he, he says, "Well, what are you doing? Why are you wasting this good meat?" And she says, "This is the way it's supposed to be done." And he says, really? I'm paraphrasing here, of course. it's just a parable. <laughs> but uh, so he says, really? And she says, yeah, it's the way my mom's away. And so he goes, he doubts what she had said. And he, he goes to the mother and says, your daughter says that you're supposed to cook a pot roast by cutting an inch off of both ends. Is that true? And she says, yes, that's the way you're supposed to do it. That's the way I've always been. That's the way I've always done it. And he said, really? And she says, yeah, that's that's the way my mother did it. And so he goes to the grandmother and says, your granddaughter and your daughter both say that you're supposed to cut an inch off of the pot roast. and I've just never seen that before. Is that true, that it's supposed to be done that way? And she says, oh, no, no. Actually, um, the reason why I did it was is that I only had one pan to cook it in and so or one pot or whatever. And it can never fit the entire pot roast. And so I had to cut off its ends just to cook it. <laughs> And so what I, and I think a lot of things like this happening in not just Mormon culture, but cultures in general is, is that because things have been done a certain way, for whatever reason, we 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 begin to think that they're supposed to be done. That way. And uh, I think I'm I, 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 I think this is a good illustration because I believe that this is what happened with regard to the symbol of the cross and the negative views that developed. Um, but as far as the question of does this serve the church, rejection of the symbol, uh, and I guess from a sociological perspective, it can. Um, this was when when, the, when this grassroots negative stigma toward the symbol emerged in Mormon culture. This was also a time of heavy assimilation, right? And so the church had uh, changed its views um, on polygamy. Uh, it's no longer this theocratic government. Um, lots of lots of things were changing in the church. And what ends up happening with cultures and religions that start to assimilate is it creates this tension uh, that has to do with this fear of losing one's identity, right? If you become like everybody else, well, then who are you is the question, right? Right. right. And And so what often happens in cultures when they assimilate maybe too much you know To put that in quotes um is new identity markers are enhanced or uh, yeah they're they're emphasized to a greater level and sometimes they're even invented and so i think um one of these things uh one of these identity markers that helps the church um to to feel like they were themselves Um, it was the absence of the symbol of the cross. And so, in some ways, yes, I guess it it served the church. But now, as the church continues to assimilate with Christianity, um, you know, there's there's a lot of emphasis by church authorities of saying we are Christian too. Um, there's converts that come into the church. That feel this unfortunate need to either discard of heirlooms, maybe a cross necklace that they receive from a grandparent, right, or to hide it, <laughs> and or and, and I find that to be unfortunate. I think I think for the especially for the sake of converts who come into the church, it's important for us to be aware of. <clears throat> uh, uh, of people's own needs for their own identities, right? For their disconnection uh, uh, to to their family or their heritage that ca- they came from. I, I don't think that the cross is anything that we should feel threatened about. And I th- actually believe it can be a, a beautiful symbol, very cathartic, something that can help us feel closer to God and be thankful for the atonement. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that it... That now might be a good time, um, or maybe soon, for the church to reconsider its views, and if there's this uh, with this maybe assimilation, if you want to call it that, <clears throat> that there are other things that the church can emphasize to a, a greater level to preserve that sense of identity, things that i might I would say might be more not just more beneficial but uh, more worthy to be proud of. <laughs>
0: right right you know and you talked about the analogy of the the pot roast i i think often in life and specifically way often in the church we're cutting a lot of pot roast ends off you know we we make a lot of assumptions we say okay everybody has to wear a white shirt well where is that well i can't find where that is um you know Tithing is 10% of your gross income. Oh yeah, well, show me where that's defined that way. I just, I think sometimes we just have these things that get passed from generation to generation, and we begin to tear them apart, we begin to realize that, oh my goodness, why was I doing this for the last, you know, why did the church do this for the last 200 years, and nobody really knows the answer. We even go back to like the, the race issues, where, uh, we had theories that were taught as doctrine, and now the church has disavowed them, and we wonder where in the heck they came from that they were taught as doctrine in the first place, and nobody has anywhere they can point to to say, oh, here's where the Lord spoke and said this was the case. Exactly. Yeah, we, we do that a lot. Um, go ahead.
1: Uh, in regards to the race issue, what's interesting is that we'll see that not only did Re- Revelation, I guess, you know, not only did Revelation. Um, uh, Trigger that that switch, but there was scholarship that preceded that before that actually attempted to trace the origin of uh, the priesthood ban and I'm hoping that in similar ways uh, my research might be useful um, to realize that basically the origin was illegitimate in regards to doctrine and revelation,
0: yeah, you know, and that's interesting too. We often want to paint a picture in the church that revelation is completely top down, that no one has any business giving any kind of idea or thought to someone who's higher up in authority, but in reality, much of the things that we we do and that come about, uh, come about from lower levels of church membership. Good ideas tend to filter up. I remember, I think it was Harold B. Lee who who came up with some idea within like the home teaching program or something, and and it was when he was just an average member of the church that the church said, "Hey, this is something to pick up on and begin to uh, you know adapt and adopt those types of things." I, I I think what you're doing is great, and I I hope that as a church, especially within you know leadership and and members who, who have the ability and the uh, influence to make changes are aware of some of the scholarship that's out there. Uh, we're talking today with Michael Reed, uh, author of Banishing the Cross, The Emergence of, Mormon taboo, of a Mormon Taboo. I want to finish, Michael, just two kind of ending questions and and one i guess is just where we're at today do you do you see the church or its members being more comfortable using a cross in versus say 20 years ago and and just get your thoughts on kind of where we're at in the present
1: yes um i do i believe that there's a shift that's that's happening um it's no longer being expressed of the, pulp of, the of the church um statements like the cross is just like a guillotine. Would you wear a guillotine over your neck if Jesus were killed by it? Right. Um, it's not compared to uh, the great abominable church <laughs> anymore. It's uh, the, the, even even though I would have even though I have issues with the rationale that's being expressed um, today, which is that the symbol is a sim- that it's a symbol of death, not of life. Um, that's a problem in itself because it implies that that Christians who use the symbol have somehow forgotten that Jesus is alive, that he's a living Christ, right? <laughs> and so even though it's intended um, to be more intact, um, it, it, it's still offensive to some uh, Christians. And um, so um, I see the shift in, in the tone. And, uh, and and so that that's something that I'm optimistic about. But I'm also seeing... Um, or maybe i don't i don't know if i'm looking too much into it but a few months ago actually several months ago um, on the cover of one of the friend magazines was the southern cross constellation and there's an article uh, within the friend magazine about the the migration of of monarch butterflies and how when it gets cold the monarch butter- butterflies migrate to warmer weather, and they follow, follow the direction of the Southern Cross. Um, and, and so I wondered, is, is something happening here? Are church authorities, or, or maybe those that are um, working with uh, church periodicals, are they testing the waters with a membership to see the responses that they get? Because I mean, th- there, there was a thesis, I believe it was in 1970, um where this person did uh, a study on symbolism within church periodicals and in this thesis he had interviewed um those who 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 were on these committees and in the interview it was expressed that 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 they receive feedback from members of the church and that there's this concern that they have that they're very aware of um and uh to or they're very cognizant of and they have this high um, level of importance that they place on it, and that is to publish things that aren't offensive to church members. Right? And so because of that, they try and uh, publish symbols and artwork that would be um, more accepted by members of the church. Um, and so I wonder if with the Southern Cross, that was a way for them to test the waters. Um, a few months later, actually a few months from now, I mean, a, a, few, a few months ago, um, in another Friend magazine, there was, or another Friend issue, there, there was some artwork uh, of a young boy who was sitting reverently uh, during the sacraments, and the message was something about him thinking about the words of the sacrament and its message. And he has this little bubble above his head that's drawn out and it shows an image of the crucifixion. And uh so yeah, I, I I I whether or not this is intended by members of the church publications committees, um, I I don't know. But it it appears at least to show whether it's conscious or not a shift that might be happening. There's also rumors I we, we don't know yet because the the temple hasn't been built yet or hasn't been completed. Um, that the temple in Rome will have an overt cross on the doors of the temple. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing if that's the case. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm holding my breath right now about
0: that. Gotcha. I I
1: think, I, <laughs> I I think it's I think I, I think it's going to happen. Actually, I really do. Especially as new members come into the church, and if they're aware of my research, um, I think they'll feel more. They'll have more courage to 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 wear maybe their cross necklace or earrings um, out and out in that discongenary discussion that didn't really exist. A discussion that didn't really exist. yet. this discussion didn't uh, have much evidence to back it up as far as defending the position of those that might want to. Um, embrace the symbol. And so I think, um, due to this research that that dis- discussion can move forward and that new members especially can have, um, have more confidence in the, the use of the symbol.
0: Right. Yeah. I know that, you know, just in my own life, just anecdotally, um, I, I know that when I, you know, I joined the church when I was 17. I've been in the church 18 years. And just in those 18 years, I look back over the last maybe three or four years. I've seen members of the church wearing a cross on a necklace. I've seen members of the church uh share an expression that showed that they were more fond of the cross than comments I had heard 18 years ago when I joined the ward. And my wife, I know my mom, I'm the only member of my family. My wife uh, was uh had a present bought for her by my mother, which was a, a cross necklace. My mom, being a non-member, bought it for her. And I remember when she first got it for her, There was kind of this like, you know, look between me and my wife like, oh no, she didn't, not that, not the cross, oh no. Right. But now looking today, we're both... Completely comfortable with with her wearing that and and it being a symbol of our faith. I've even gone into homes for my job. I go into other customer or other um the other customers' homes and and measure their houses up for floor covering. And there's times where I'll be in someone's home and I'll see a cross on the wall. And some of them I'll look at. It and I'll be like, that's really cool looking. I would I would be okay and comfortable having that as a reminder as a symbol in my home. And I I do think we've got a ways to go, but. I think you're pointing out this idea that we're slowly getting there and, and that hopefully as you're talking about the possibility with the cross in the temple in Rome, with the picture, which I looked up while you were talking about it, the, uh, the, the primary picture there with the kid with talking about, um, thinking about the savior and the little bubble with the, with the crucifixion there. Yeah. I, I hope that we can do more of that. If it needs to be done subtly, fine. Just to change kind of the perception in our culture. But I look at my generation and younger those in their 20s and 30s, and I just think it's a non-issue. And I just think if we can just move move this forward enough so that the older generation isn't bothered by it, then I think in a matter of time, you're going to begin to see that symbol used more often. Michael, I, uh, I appreciate you being on today. Uh, where can people find the book? It's on Amazon.
1: It's on Amazon. There's also a number of different online bookstores. I think FAIR is selling it. Even the Lighthouse Ministries is selling it. Wow. Um, yeah, Confetti Books, I know is ha- I know they have it in Salt Lake um, in stock. They might even have a signed copy.
0: Awesome, awesome. And I'll make sure, it- Mormon Discussion, the podcast on the website, we have a bookstore as well, and I'll make sure it's found in there, and I'll include a link to it. Great.
1: Uh, Michael, um, I, Reed, do, maybe- I do want to say one more thing. Sure, please. John Whitmer Books, their website will have it. They're the publisher of my book. I can't forget them.
0: Yeah, and we want to make sure we support, you know, whether it's John Whitmer Books and Coford Books and other, other publishing companies and bookstores that, that support, uh, books like yours. We, we want to certainly give a big thanks to them. And, and so for folks out there, if you want to go straight to John Whitmer Books and purchase it there, that would be great. But, uh, Michael, I appreciate you being on. I think this is an important subject. If for the, if for the only reason, maybe perhaps a couple reasons. One is that I think the cross is an important symbol of the Savior's atonement and his sacrifice. And I think, Unfortunately, in some ways we've, we've kind of shoved it off into the background as a culture. But for the second reason that I think that it is a a small example of a bigger issue of false assumptions and how we get to the place that we get to and what got us there. And assuming sometimes that God, you know, showed up in the room and put his foot down on a certain issue only to find out 200 years later that, that it's just more messy than that. And that how we got there maybe isn't as clear cut as we thought. And I think this is a good subject to, to kind of delve into that into without it being um, dangerous or feeling confrontational to others.
1: Right. I agree. I'm hopeful as well.
0: Yeah. Thank you for being on today and uh, appreciate uh, your time.
1: Thank you very much. Who brought the dead to life
0: He's the one who fed
1: the hungry And who gave the blind their sight
0: He's the one who walked on water Then he brought
1: them safe to shore
0: And whenever you
1: may need him He's the one you're looking for So let him in Will
0: take away your pain. When you feel His love, you'll never be the same. Come unto Christ, come unto
1: Him, and by His grace.